How do you get through the really, really hard times? Not everybody does make it with their life force intact. From the birth room to the death room and every mini death in between. Grief, like when we actually let ourselves go into the deep sadness of a time, can be very, very enlivening. Welcome to Still Point. I'm media midwife Ari Golden. The value and the necessity of grieving and that full-bodied wailing and how that brings life into the room, that expression. Willingness to meet each moment fully and committed. Be like all in, just committed for that ride. for that ride committed for the ride of this life we've been given as we live into a new future part of my soul that was really ready to change being in the unknown grow with what is being shown to meet the moment Find a way to breathe into the flow. Go. And ready to meet the fear. Deep underneath fear, pain, and rage. Create space to be with change. Feel it all the way into your liberation. When does this story and how it was lived through me, it really began? Brave stories. Today on Still Point, featuring a story told by Leah Lamb, writer, producer, and founder of the School for Sacred Storytelling. I was curious to know the origins of her path and what she had to overcome, giving her strength and courage to face the unknown and participate in the emerging collective. I was four years old. My mom was a painter. And so we had all kinds of creative things from her friends around. And one of them was this beautiful tapestry that had been hand-woven. And it was of this woman giving flowers away to these children. And on the tapestry was embroidered in Leah, said my name, Leah, give what you have. To others, it may mean more than you dare to think. I really remember being a little kid and reading it over and over and over again and not having a clue what it meant. And then it all began to make sense when I was 29 years old and I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and they were going to cut across my larynx and they told me I might lose my voice. My whole life was about writing and theater and 
and telling stories. And I really wanted to go to Yale and get a degree in playwriting. And I was in my very first relationship with my very first love. And we discovered that we have very different outlooks on life. And when I told him I wanted to write a book or that I told him I wanted to go to Yale or I told him I wanted to do this, and he said, you can't do that. And I listened to him. I could blame him for that choice, but the truth of it is he spoke out loud a fear that I had inside of myself, and I listened to it, and I acted on it, and he amplified it. You know, So it really taught me about be careful of the company that you keep. So I went and I got a master's in social work. Six weeks before graduation, I went for this job interview, and I remember thinking at that moment, if I take this job, it's going to kill me. And on that moment, I put my hand on my neck and I felt this huge swelling on my neck. And I said, I'm sorry, I actually have to call a doctor right now. I have to stop the interview. I actually ended up with an amazing practitioner and she said, this might be cancer. You have to follow this all the way through. I didn't believe her. There was no way. I I had just come back from doing service work in a developing country. I thought maybe I just had some lymph swelling. So the miracle of the story is that that graduate school that I was so resistant and so angry about going to, that school happened to be the medical school that had discovered the technique to identify the unique kind of cancer that I had. They asked me not to leave the office because they wanted to give me the diagnosis right then. And so I'm sitting there and they call me into this small room and they pass this massive contract across the table to me as they explain to me that I have a very extreme case of fastly growing cancer and that they want to take immediate action, the most extreme approach to dealing with it, which is removing the thyroid along with the tumor. And then I could lose my voice. And then they, t- then they give you this contract. You're, you're signing away. They, so they, signed, they, they scheduled my surgery that day. In this terrifying experience of being diagnosed with thyroid cancer, that you might lose your voice with barely any time to consider your options, you're given this contract, reality upended. I wonder what flashed through your mind and how did that moment change the lens through which you saw your life? I just remember up to that moment, Life had organized in such a way where I had really mastered being a victim. You're about to lose your voice. I mean, if you want to go play victim in the world, this is it. You know, this is the crowning moment. And I realized that I did not want to be the queen of victim. I really wanted to be something else. And in this moment, and it happened so fast, I don't even know what part of my soul came alive. It was the, it was the initiation that I must have been waiting for or getting ready for or prepared for. I saw the escape hatch and I jumped through it. And rather than sobbing, I started laughing. I just started making jokes. I said, when he said that they were going to cut across my larynx and they might, I might lose my voice, I said, ah, oh, you just tell that to all the pretty girls, don't you? And something inside me said, you're going to laugh your way through every sucky part of this experience. And so every time I went into the hospital, every time I met with a nurse practitioner, I had a job and my job was to make us laugh. Look, so much of life we actually aren't in control of. You know, every time we get in the car on the highway, you know, it's just a freaking miracle that we end up where we end up. 
but we have this illusion that we're in control. And then there's a few moments in our lives where we get this extraordinary gift, where we get to really see that we are not in control, that we actually don't really know what's going to happen the next day. And to be so alive in that and so alive in the terror of that. You know, I look back at this time and it was terrifying. I was terrified. I was terrified to go underneath the knife. I was terrified not to know what was going to be on the other side of my life. That visceral sense of free falling into the unknown, a complete lack of control over what was happening. How did you meet the experience and get through feelings of powerlessness? I tried to control what I could. I researched and I researched and I researched. And I was in such a deep story of what did I do to myself to make this happen, to get sick. And so I didn't want to tell anybody. And thankfully, once again, I was getting a master's in social work. So all my teachers were counselors. And so when I tried to keep it a secret and it was just like, I'll be back in two weeks, you know, they're like, no, Leah, you are not keeping this a secret. You have to tell people. You have to call on people. So it was like lesson number one. How to be part of community is asking for help when you need it. I was taking a class on spirituality and social work. And so I had just read all these research studies on the power of prayer. So I, I did something where I asked some friends to pray for me. You are not alone. A couple of things happened. Like one, my mailbox started filling with cards. People I didn't even know were sending me cards. I, I, I don't even know. It was just like the community has gathered in like this, this loving way around me in this moment. Really getting to see how much love was in my life in a way that I'd never been able to before. And that's interesting because when you're in the victim, you're always trying to pull people towards you. And when I left that role and when I stood in this other place, it wasn't about feeling bad for me. It was more a request to champion my adventure in this wild journey. And it was a different way of living in the world and people showed up for me in a different way. And it changed my story. I was really just following the life force and some part of my soul that was really ready to change and ready to meet the moment and ready to meet the fear. Well, now I see how powerful it is to claim a different way of living. I would say my soul took over, like something beyond me took over than my rational mind. And now I feel like I had that experience. And so now I'm very aware of, all right, what am I in service to? And how am I choosing to live my life? If I'm going to be the victor in the story, then it doesn't matter what happens around me. I am going to meet the world around me with love. If I know what my role is, then I'm that role in whatever is happening. If I choose it. So if I choose to be the lover, you know, I will always feed my neighbors. I will always make sure I have enough food to give away to others. The bridge builder. I'm always going to have extra tools in my toolbox. You know, I'm always going to be there to help build a path to the world I most want to live in because I know that's the role that I'm consciously choosing. I'm consciously carving it out now. 
And I feel like in these times, that's really what keeps me sane and simple. The story isn't about the facts. It's about the meaning. It's about the experience. It's about the story of the soul in context to the facts and information. As you integrate what was learned through your cancer journey from discernment about the company you keep to trusting in the process and finding humor and prayer and asking for what you needed, what do you say to the listener who might be at a disoriented, anxious crossroads about how to handle and digest what is happening to them, for them. Put on your super spidey x-ray sexiest pair of goggles that will show you who your allies are. And realize that allies come to us in unexpected ways. One of my most amazing allies was a garden. And that garden saved my life because the depression did come. I did start seeing the world in gray. A, it gave me something to take care of. I walked that garden every day and that garden, the spirals, they taught me two things. They taught me gratitude. I didn't know about gratitude before then. And every day I started to say what I was grateful for as I walked to the center of the spiral of that garden. And then it taught me how to pray and I started to pray for my life. It was the last garden that I had before this one. And when COVID happened, I started planting seeds again. And I really do feel like every time I read the latest crazy thing that makes me want to lose it, I kind of run to the garden. I'm like, I'll be right back. You know? <laughs> Let me just go water, water the radishes. <laughs> Watch the tomato plant growing. But there's something so, like, it teaches you everything. It teaches you everything you know, about how to tend to life. Gardening is is elusive and then it looks really easy. Anyone can put a seed in the earth and water it and the seed's going to do what it does. It's going to sprout. But will it thrive? Will it fruit? Will it be generative? You know, that's then up to like how good of a foundation did you give it to thrive within and then how well will you nurture it and did you put it in the right place? I think that's one of the things that, that being with the seeds have really taught me Not all plants will thrive in the same place. To be so astute is to see each being as individual, understanding what it really needs and what it really wants outside of the picture of the whole. Roots they dig down way beneath the surface Reach for the nutrients needed to survive and thrive Rely on being tended and learning to belong. May you be strong to live so alive. May you be strong to live so alive. You know, cultures of ancient times, when initiation was an everyday part of it, of you know, everyone's life, that they would go out and, the, and they would discover their gifts and that, that the community would see them and they would name them and they would give them a place to live and those gifts would 
um, continue to grow and grow and grow. And I feel like so much in our time, we don't have that expression in community. And we don't have communities that know how to know how important it is that they name and say what they see in terms of other people's gifts. And that that gives those gifts a place to live. And so I would pray that our next generation of little ones get to be raised in great communities that know the power of their word and the power of their gifts. May you be strong to live so alive. To learn more about Leah Lamb's work, you can find her at leahlamb.com. That's L-E-A-H-L-A-M-B. Thank you for listening to Still Point. I'm media midwife Ari Golden. If you'd like to learn more about my work, please go to my website at arigolden.com. That's A-H-R-I Golden, G-O-L-D-E-N.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at Ari Golden. That's A-H-R-I Golden. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review Still Point on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.